Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with your hosts, Jake and Randy, discussing all things freestyle frisbee and whatever else that comes up. Welcome to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. Hey, Jake, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, Randy? Hey, Jake, I am doing fabulous. And I am super excited about something that we have in the works, and it's going to be our next episode after this one. We are going to have the first ever Freestyle Frisbee Fantasy Draft for 2021. And we're going to have a special guest who will join us for that draft. So I'm really looking forward to sharing that with everyone. And we're still working out the details, but we will share that with you with our next episode. Yeah, totally. I'm super excited about that, too. I can't wait to see how it turns out. Uh, So with that, let's shift gears and talk about our guest for today. We are going to continue our conversation with Crave and Sickle. He'll discuss his partnership with Evan David. Why don't you go ahead and talk about, you know, moving out to Sonoma and playing with Evan David and uh, sort of talk about what that experience was like creating with him? Because I've been blown away by how many people have said that Evan David was such an inspirational player to them. I didn't realize what an impact that he had on so many players. So talk about that experience about being out there with him and creating. Yeah. Well, first of all, he's like the nicest human, such a nice guy. And then, um, yeah, he had this really flowing, it's sort of like an extension of his personality. His personality is a very, um, open. I mean, I haven't talked to him or seen him in a long, long time but really open-minded, creative, accepting, very much a, a product of the best part of like the Santa Barbara, California, kind of easygoing headspace. And um, just super creative, you know, he just, he just was innovating all the time. Like um, the, the move that I do where did was the, what did I call that? I call it the windmill? I'm just blanking. I know what I called it, but it wasn't. It wasn't the. It wasn't the scare. I called it actually the jazz catch. The way that most of what I see now, I called the jazz catch, which was sort of like a, a more. But I did it very much like triangulated, where my my arm was at an angle to my shoulder. My shoulder was 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 flexed a lot, and it was over my head with my body down, sort of facing straight with my my feet in a triangle. I think I do it in the Zen, in the Zen, in the art. But the one that I did before that was uh, where I would swim, swoop it up behind my back, and then spin, and then sort of spin around with my my arms wide, straight out, where uh, my shoulders, my arms are basically a continuation of you know extension from both sides. Um, but Evan threw his leg over, threw his opposite leg, like you're going to go for a for a flamingitis. Instead of doing a flamingitis, did that that catch, and I want to give him credit for that because that's a catch that I have done. Um, so I just want to say that is one of my favorite catches in the whole yeah. world, and mm-hmm. I've tried it at least a million times and haven't even come close. I think it's just because my legs are so big. You know, I got like these big, huge <laughs> calves and stuff, and I can't yeah. get them to fly yeah. over like that. It, that's not the one. There's another one that is the butterfly, which is where I throw both legs over, but that's not. That's not this one. The first uh, got one is where you're, you're, you got your leg planted and you're just th- sort of throwing your, uh, 
if you're catching with your left, you're throwing your right leg over it and, and doing a, like a scarecrow, but it's really not a scarecrow. It's a, I it's gotcha. a wide open thing. But anyway, yeah, he did yeah. that. I mean, that's just like to give you an example, but he did a lot of really cool, innovative stuff and he was really into dance. And so we spent a summer in Petaluma, pretty isolated with our two girlfriends which were, you know, which was nice. And it was just a beautiful little place. I slept under a plum tree outside and we just had the facilities at the Sonoma state or whatever it was. And we worked on, you know, uh, same as it ever was, was the tune that we were playing with and we worked on a routine. And just at the end of that, we just didn't really have a way of supporting ourselves and continuing to do that trip. And he had some other things pulling him in other directions. So we didn't end up doing the performing arts uh, thing that I had hoped to do with him. Um, but it was a sweet time. It was it was it was really cool. And then I think after that is when I, I went back to the city and started playing with Jeff and doing more of the again. And that was where a lot of center of gravity of creative energy in these alternative arts was anyway. Um, and so, you know, so that's what happened after that. I've heard that you invented the Fleming Guidus catch. Did yeah. that happen around this time frame? And can you talk about how you invented it? Well, so when the, it's a co-invention, uh, but um, John Anthony, that was before this. Uh, when John Anthony was at Columbia, he was in this little apartment, and he got a letter from Bill King where Bill King was describing this thing called the pretzel. And he said, what you do is you sort of take the disc and you put it underneath the, this leg and he was trying to like write out all this stuff and then you snap back down around and you catch it with the not the, this hand but with the other hand because don't forget billy king had invented the flamingo right which is the one where you just sort of put one leg up um and so we were trying to screw around with that and basically what i read was that you were sort of almost passing it underneath your leg and then you were snapping down around to to catch it on the other side but in a different way, when he described, no, maybe this is, maybe what happened was, this is what happened. There were two things. When he described the flamingo, that's what it was. When he described the flamingo in the letter, maybe there were two different letters. I thought it couldn't be this easy. It had to have been this. That's what it was. It was when, when he was describing the flamingo and I reached around and I was like, Wow, that damn, that is hard. How do you do that? <laughs> and so then we went out and we just spent hours and hours and hours trying to, to do this thing where we would reach around and, and catch it that way. And I didn't actually catch it until I was out in Del Mar, California, at visiting Kirkland, where we were out on the field out there. And uh, with a little help from the wind and after many, many, many attempts, um, I caught it. Wow, that's kind so, of crazy. So, so you thought it was a, uh, you thought the, explanation of the flamingo was actually the flamingitis right yeah and also the pretzel there were the flamingo and the pre there was the, the pretzel was in there somewhere and and i know that the pretzel the description that i heard about the the pretzel was that you pass it underneath your leg and then you snap down to catch it so it'd be like a flamingitis only you passing it under your leg first and then you catch it and but the flamingo was what got me thinking it was the flamingitis we, we should have this conversation with Billy and with John because they would fill in other aspects of this because that's, that's, that's sort of where it all happened, yeah. It's also interesting to think, like, if that happened today, someone would send you a video, check out this new catch, and there would be no confusion, and you right. wouldn't invent something new. <laughs> right, <clears throat> exactly. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then we started then 
you know, John did it with his leg raised, and that was, I guess, what you call the guidus instead of the guidus. And then I did it with the thumbs down, with the leg really raised, and and I think Donnie started did that, and he named it, I think, the extraneous. And there's lots of like iterations on all this stuff by that time. Yeah. What's wild is that I didn't realize that John Anthony played such a role in your early days, because. Um, I know John Anthony from being from Vancouver with the other Kitsilano cat guys, Bill King and Jim Brown. So I, I had no idea that you had so much experience and time spent with those guys because they were my heroes being here in Seattle. I was like, wow, Bill and John and and uh, Jim, you know, Jim being able to do the cosmic catastrophe, yeah, which I was just consumed with. You know, I was like, that so was right up my alley. Yeah. So talk about talk about your experience with them a little bit. Oh, they were just, you know, total kindred spirits. John, you know John. John is a very peculiar personality. Um, and so he fit in really well with this with the rest of the peculiar personalities that we had. Yeah, I mean, I would say John, you know, John and I, because of, again, because of his juggling angle or whatever, were the, he probably did the first behind the back delay pull. In the, you know of anybody and we did we probably did a lot of those, those kind of things a lot of inversions what we called the laser catches i mean he did a lot of innovating right along with me i don't know i think stork did some deflections but john did a lot of deflections he was really early in that airbrushing under you know under airbrushing other than just right out in front of your face like but airbrushing under your legs and that kind of stuff we did a lot of those things and then traveled, you know, around the country with all three of them and uh, ended up being partners with Billy after that and uh, being great friends. And I spent a lot of time in Vancouver. I mean, I, I obviously Disc had moved around the country, but the West Coast was was a very, you know, happening place. At that point, a lot of people from New York had already moved, had moved out like Joey to uh, to California or up and down. And so I spent a lot of time Kirkland going up and down and um, basically Vancouver just felt like home away from home. It was, it's a beautiful spot. Uh, the, the park on the Kitsilano Park had that sort of intense energy, sort of like Central Park does. Um, there were a bunch of weird characters that were on the fringes of the scene of the, the Frisbee players that they had. They were like this, this one guy that, would play by himself, but he he would basically like just slam the disc into the ground and and it would bounce up and and then he he had this like totally frenetic energy and then there were these the Arnold I remember his name was and then Steve God I can't believe I'm pulling out these names that were the really good juggler types that were really sort of oddballs and then they had this oddball early computer programmer and they lived in this cave for a while and you know like this downstairs thing and. And, um, yeah, so I, I ended up spending quite a lot of time with them. The trip around the country in the blue van was really a very uh, memorable trip. We went to the Badlands and we went through Colorado and, you know, would drive for a long time and then get out and sort of stagger around. I remember coming out to Seattle, which was sort of like arriving with the double rainbows because it was a beautiful day. And there was a tournament and we weren't sure where we were. And some it was a golf tournament. We drove up and somebody said... Hi, I'm so and so from the Tacoma Club, and, and he was—he looked like a real sort of like, um, like a guy out of like the, the what do you call it, the, uh, 
Kiwanis Club or something like this. He was he was so straight, and we were all probably you know totally baked, and we just thought it was the funniest thing we'd ever heard, even though it was probably not that funny because <laughs> we'd been cooped up in the van for so long. And then um, Seattle scene was when there was also that whole grunge scene that was going on. Then we went and saw some crazy concerts with like the Dead Kennedys, and I don't know if we saw. Um, Kurt Cobain and those guys, but we were all obviously seeing a lot of concerts during a lot of this time. New York scene was was we're up to our eyeballs in in musical, and we I mean I had a garbage bag full of tickets from concerts. We used to that was another adjunct to the scene. Did some good shows at some 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 big concerts too, actually, and some some spontaneous and some not spontaneous. Well, those three guys definitely danced to a different beat, and I was really drawn to them because of that. I mean, just their, you know, their, that Paw magazine that they had, Padiddler magazine, and, you know, they would do the, you know, all the benign and just, yes. like you said, Micronesia, like they just kind yeah. of saw things and tweaked them a little bit. I'm bored. I'm chairman of the board. I remember that's one of their, you know, routines that they did where they're carrying Jim Brown off the <laughs> and he's doing like this really difficult padiddle move behind, behind your back. back. Yeah. yeah. And you know, it's just like, you know, fabulous and different and yeah. unique and really nice guys too. Oh, totally. They were my heroes. I mean, they had such a, they had the uh, all male esoteric drill team, I think it was. And they had like a, I still, it's my favorite shirt. It's, I had the double zero, uh, esoteric on the back. I think I might have that somewhere. They came up with a lot of really interesting, like twists on uh, being creative and Dadaist kind of um, esoteric stuff. They were really an inspiration. You know, there was another thing that we, which is where we did everything sort of spoofing on normal moves, like which was. Um, a very short moment in time, um, but we actually had the World Progressive Championships up at Hampshire College and um, with John Dwork and uh, Jason Sulky and I. And then there was there were, it wasn't a very big playing field because it was sort of but it did come out of the Vancouver um, energy a fair amount. We were on a it was it was invented, I think, in Boulder. We were taking a tour up into the mountains. We started talking about instead of spraying silicone, you know, you put smegma on the disc and instead, you know, and just basically instead of rolling it this way, you'd roll it that way. And in every catch you could do something humorous about. And I think Billy King was good at, at like tossing it up and like trying to do a spin because he wasn't he wasn't the most spinning kind of guy. And he would like do all this sort of physical comedy and fall down. And so we did, that was another little sort of sidebar episode. Um, John Dwork might have a video of the second year that we did it at Hampshire, but um, that was, needless to say, John Dwork and Jason Sulky are two very, very funny guys. They also have a really sort of sidebar bent on life. And uh, I, when I have kept a couple of trophies, not too many, I have the overall one. I have the first disc golf championship one. Maybe a little random this and that, but the other one that I really treasure is the Progressive uh, World Championships one, which, by the way, has a picture of Richie Smith diving for a catch with Joey in the background with his face, like with his mouth, literally like a jar. He's like, like that. 
and Richie's diving for a catch because Richie, as you know, is not the most like athletic. I mean, he just didn't, he moved very like close in. <laughs> so anyway, the progressive freestyle was, it was another manifestation besides the padiddling across America, the world. I think it was Paul magazine and some of the interviews in that magazine were really fun, by the way. So from my personal experience, my, my introduction to you as a freestyler was through Zen and the Art of Freestyle Frisbee. That came out just about the time that I was a new player, and so it was perfect timing. I'm like, oh my god, there's a training video. I need to get a copy of this. And then I found out this Craig guy exists, and I had no idea. So can you talk about how that came about, and um, uh, just talk about Zen and the Art of Freestyle Frisbee? Yeah, well, that was a really, I mean, I'm very proud of that. That was a really great project. We were ambitious. Um, you know, Pat, who uh, was a great videographer and editor and, um, you know, wanted to do something creative in terms of storyline and so forth <clears throat> to make it more interesting than just a how-to kind of video. And I was really interested in breaking down the progression of, you know, the very most basic skills and then carrying them through to the point where you could, you know, then be on your own, as it were, in terms of innovating and extemporizing and putting things together. And so we really tried to merge those two things of the storyline of, um, you know, Spencer coming into the meadow, which was in some ways, uh, you know, parallel to what actually sort of happened and that whole progression of teaching somebody uh, and, and uh, you know, his, his sort of exploration and, and meeting everybody and seeing all the different aspects of different people's styles and how it fit into the culture in New York, which was, uh, had a lot of other stuff, like he was a skateboarder and there's all these, you know, roller skaters and other kind of interesting things that go on in, in New York and Central Park. And so... Um, yeah, I mean, I basically wrote the um, the instructional aspect of it and wove it into the uh, the storyline. We we worked on the storyline together, and that was when Pat and I were doing a lot of playing together as well. Um, and our our routine was sort of in the process of being being worked on, um, and it was it was a really I, I was just super happy with the way it turned out. Your story is very interesting to me that it did have a big impact on you, uh, it, or it was good timing at least. Like, what's your impression of how it was out there in the world, as far as you guys are, are aware? Because you've been much more plugged into the Frisbee scene since then, I think, than I have been. It seemed like it was a blip on the radar from my perspective. So as a new player, I had been playing for maybe a year and then it came out, I got a copy of it. And then maybe a year later, it couldn't be found anymore. And I don't know really what, wow. why that happened or where it went, but it was, I mean, from my perspective as a new player, it was kind of disappointing. It felt like the sport needs this. It needs to have a way to train new people because it, that's one of the hardest things about it is learning, learning how to do it. Uh, if the learning curve is so steep and so any tools that would be available to help people learn would be great and this was there and then it was suddenly not there and actually that so I started a website called Haynesville not too long after that and the whole purpose of starting that was to try to fill the gap and put up training materials online so that people could try to learn and I think that was part of the reason I did that was because I saw this there's a big gap there so when you were creating that 
Zen and the Art of Freestyle Frisbee. You mentioned earlier that that you wanted to influence the game and kind of bring back some of that flow style. So can you talk a little bit more about that and and like was that your goal and why do you want why did you want to bring that back? I just I think that there's a magic of flight. There's you know the disc is an object that can be manipulated and in a way that's probably unique to the disc in terms of the different ways in which you can interact with the disc and that's extremely um, enticing and, and um, engaging, right? You can play with it. There are the three, we used to say the three aspects of the disc sort of was a, it was a wing, a parachute and a gyroscope. And then you can interact with it in different ways relating to different aspects of that with throws and catches and so forth. The flight, my, my sort of basic imprint and love and continued sort of fondness or, or, or highest, um, appreciation of the disc is, is having the catching and the throwing and the new, the manipulation sort of be an extension of the flight aspect and the animated aspect of the disc where the flow, the energy isn't interrupted, you know? So where either, and that's where flow, catch, throw is what I used to call it. Flow, catch, throws where, you know, I spent a lot of time working on things where it would come in and you'd spinning around and you would just go back out. And there was really no interruption in the movement. I remember there was a, an early video of me in Amherst when I was like doing shows in between the first Ultimate Games of a, like a delay pole underneath the leg. Sort of was like, you know, how if you're walking to the side and you're just sort of, you have your counter, your left leg out and pull it out with your right just with zoom and then doing a triple fake and then throwing it with the backhand, which was like an extension of, that was an early extension of an unbroken catch, flow catch throw, but that in, in integrated a, a manipulation in there. And then it sort of grew from there. And I think that there's something much more interesting to watch, first of all, for the average person. And just over time, I get a little fatigued watching just the, I mean, I can appreciate it because I can appreciate the difficulty and stuff like that. But I think that just from a purely, you know, if you're looking at human movement and human interaction and human potential with an object, watching somebody who is doing that style where it is unbroken movement and where the thing's flowing in and flowing out or where there's cadence and there's pausing and there's you know, but you can just like dance, you know, you can incorporate a lot of different qualities into the the, the way in which you orchestrate or, or uh, choreograph movement. And there can be slowing down and speeding up. And but but approaching it with that perspective where there's a an aesthetic um, objective is something that I think has the, the you know freestyle which is what we call it or disc dance which is another you know version of what might be called uh, has tremendous potential to go so 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 far further than it has gone and I, it's okay I mean I think there was a I remembered when I was thinking about talking with you guys I, I did this tour for High C Coca-Cola and there was uh, I did a media tour so I did hundreds and hundreds of um, interviews. And one of my favorite ideas was to say there was another planet that Frisbee came from. On that planet, the Frisbee rather than the ball was the dominant object that they used. 
and they used it for their highest spiritual Zen meditation, you know, by being spontaneous in the wind and so forth. And so that was sort of their spiritual, you know, uh, focus in the, on that planet was was using the disc for that. And then it was their ultimate sport where they used it for distance and all these other things. And then it was their highest art form and they used it for, uh, you know, and as their their combination of ballet and whatever else. And so I, I think that right now we've got the sport aspect and that's been something that has been, I started with us. I mean, I, I would say that, you know, from the time that Kerry started innovating uh, the nail delay and the uh, airbrush and then anybody started innovating anything with the catching and then, you know, Joey and Richie and everybody that's that's followed. Um, always the, the challenge of figuring out what can we do with this disc where we're manipulating it. But it's a very sort of like we're controlling it centric way of looking at it. And I and I think that that letting the disc suggest what we can do to sort of accentuate its uh, rhythm and its flow and its natural um, amazing sort of attributes as as this animated extension of our energy because it really is when you throw the disc it's like part of your intention and part of your energy flies with it right so how do you have this merger of the disc and and your energies but have it be a little bit less like where we're dominating we're dominating the um, the, the the manipulation and that's a little bit of a I think a good um, metaphor for how we could live our life with <laughs> the objects and the nature around us is where we uh, are a little more sensitive to the energies that that it, it um, provides us to learn from. Wow, well, that is a very Buddhist approach to the jam. Uh, it's also a great philosophy just for life in general, just to sort of let let things like let, not just let things happen. There's some certain things in life that are going to happen and you just can't control them. I think there's another piece that's at play here in the jam where it's not just the manipulation of the disc or letting the disc tell you what to do. I actually think that music is a super important part of the jam. At least it is for me. I really like to let the music kind of guide me as to where I go with the jam. And I can see how that affects other people I'm with that is driving the intent and the will of where we go, whether that's tempo or speed flow or, you know, just being in your own silo. But I feel like music is a real connector kind of to all of those things. Yeah, it's interesting. I've, I've I've gone through phases where music has a huge impact on me in the jam and other phases where it's there, but I'm not really thinking about it. One of the things that I like about using music as a guide on how to flow in the jam is that it, it, it takes me out of my comfort zone a little bit. Like sometimes there's certain moves I want to do and they're the same tempo, they're the same moves. Without the music guiding me, I just keep doing them. Whereas with the music, I might slow down or speed up or um, just... I don't know, you just think a little bit differently when you add another element into your into your thinking and it kind of causes you to go a different direction. And so I've actually found that a lot of times the most growth that I do is when I take another concept and try to integrate it into my jam. And music is one that's had a big impact on me. Yeah, for sure. And it's that whole concept of imposing your will. I think that can really take you out of the moment while you're putting all your energy into forcing what the disc can do, the music can help you step back and be in the moment and kind of just go with what your reactions and just reacting to the disc. Obviously, you have to have a fundamental base of skill sets to just do that reaction. But if you can tie those together with the music 
it can really set you into that meditative state where you're just reacting and flowing and the music is a partner. Yep. Now that said, I think you can be in that state with just the disc because the disc itself has this flight pattern. It's not just like it's there. It's like it has a certain curve and it changes based on the wind and how much spin there is on the disc and which direction it's spinning. And there's so much to it that if you just kind of turn off your mind and just go with it, it sort of tells you what it wants you to do. You know, the other thing that kind of occurs to me is a lot of times I feel like people may say, oh, flowing with the disc, well, that doesn't include skids or turnovers or some other really technical manipulative moves. But I, I, I personally think that the flow, that all of those moves are in there and a part of the flow and that they can be done in a way that just connects completely with the flight of the disc and what the disc wants you to do. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of layers. Just because it's a skid and you're manipulating the disc doesn't mean you're imposing your will on it, right? You're still in the flow state. So I think that's a really good point. Yep, totally. And so with that, just a reminder that the next episode, we'll be doing our freestyle fantasy draft with a special guest. So uh, stay tuned. And on that note, I'll talk to you next time. Talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Shooting the Frisbees with Jake and Randy. To contact us or for more info, check us out at frisbeeguru.com. <laughs>